Pastor, come lead us as we pray, please. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we are so blessed to join corporately with the body of Christ, Lord, to lift our songs, to lift, as your word says, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that make melody in our hearts to the Lord. And Father, we're commanded in Ephesians 5 in that regard to speak to one another in psalms. We address each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we thank you for your spirit that indwells us at the time of salvation when you saved us and he indwells us forever. And we thank you for the opportunity to come together and to worship you with our brothers and sisters. I pray that today is an overflow of a week where we have praised your name and we have honored you and truly lived in such a way that our life epitomizes the truth of Psalm 63 that your loving kindness is better than life itself. Thank you for that, Father. And we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Um, may our voices, may the preached word, Lord, honor you and glorify you. And may you accomplish your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, greetings. We're glad you're here today. And as David always reminds us, you see in front of you a, a card, a connection card. If you're visiting for the first time or the second time and you've never filled out a card, do so so that we have a record of your visit. We are glad you are here with us today. I've, our, I've already by prayer introduced uh, the psalm. It's the last one that I will preach in this psalm series through the, the summer months. Uh, and I've been asked by astonished, amazed people to say, Brother David is actually preaching next Sunday? And I've said, absolutely, he is. Psalm 95 will be a blessing to your heart. Uh, a music guy that served his whole life singing glory to the Lord and uh, serving this church knows a little bit about worship. And that's what Psalm 95 is about. Uh, shouting loud, bowing before the Lord, obeying Christ. And so I... Hope you'll be here to support Brother David as he preaches. Speaking of staff and uh, our staff, pastoral staff, Brother James Stryker has been with us for five years. We've learned a lot of things from James <laughs> since he is also a North American Mission, uh, a North American, uh, North American Mission Board chaplain in the military in Air Force. Uh, he's getting close to 20 years with the Air Force, too. And we've learned a lot in our staff meetings, such things like rack them and stack them. <laughs> we've learned things like, I am ready now for extraction. That's what he tells the boys when he comes to get them. It's time for extraction. So we've, we've learned a lot of military lingo from James. But he is a blessing. He and Amy and the boys have been a blessing to our church. And what we do as personnel, the policy asks that every five years you're honored uh, with a gift and that's what I want to give James. It's really from you to our church, to James from our church. God bless you, brother. Well, we try to keep uh, first things first, and first things first is, is always the Lord honoring him, worshiping him. But we do have a few announcements today, so follow me real quickly, if you will, please. Uh, do we have, yes, Wednesday night meals are starting back up, all right? It is imperative that you physically sign up in the Connection Center today if you want a meal. 
but Brother David, I've been here 30 years, and I always come. You will not have a meal. You, you need to sign up, so we need a, a new accurate count. Of, of who's coming, okay? So sign up in the Connection Center if you uh, are planning on coming to Wednesday night, please, all right? Um, also, uh, Back to Bethlehem is up, up and running in full swing. We still need about 30 or 40 uh, minor speaking parts, so please go to the church website and say, you know, click on that, that icon that says uh, speaking parts or, or char- uh, I think it says costume characters, and, and sign up, and we'll get you plugged in. Please, please, please do that within the next week. And then tonight, uh, we are not having church here. We're asking everybody to join us at Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield at 6 o'clock for a worship event called One Banner. There's going to be about 8 to 10 uh, church choirs involved in, in a worship celebration. Uh, Rich Langston, who grew up here for several years, actually, is the, is the minister of music over there, the worship pastor. He'll be directing. And it's going to be an exciting, exciting time. I don't think you'll want to miss that. So please uh, be a part of that tonight at 6 o'clock. All right. As we focus on uh, Psalm 63, there's sort of a companion verse to that that talks about uh, our, our hungering and our thirsting. Um, and uh, it re- it's Psalm 42, as the deer panteth for the water. Let's, let's sing that great song together. David always remembered that God was ultimately his help. We too must remember the same. And I pray that this next song, especially the last phrase that we repeat time and time again, is where our help comes from. Oh 
Peace. 
Let your minds go to the cross. Remember what he's done for us.
bow for prayer. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. May that worship continue in an act of giving, an act of sacrifice, uh, giving back to you, Lord, what you blessed us with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I heard that Pastor Philip was going to be in Psalm 63, I was excited to sing this next song because it just reminds us where our satisfaction comes from. And uh, it is in the Lord alone who can satisfy my soul, Lord, like you. to receive Psalm 63. Like the psalmist David said in this psalm, my soul thirsts for God, my flesh faints for God, as in a dry and weary land. And if we find ourselves in the same situation, we have exactly the same answer. Amen. The Lord God. Let this be your prayer as we prepare to study the psalms today.
as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure to Isn't it a pleasure to take out your Bibles each week, right? So, take out your copy of God's Word and let's look together in Psalm 63. Close to the middle of the Psalms, right? Right in there. Not dead in the middle, but close. We used to learn, right? Split your Bible in the middle, you hit the Psalms. Are y'all in the right? You're in the New Old Testament, right? All of you are? Yeah, hit it in the middle, and Psalm 63. It has been a huge blessing to preach. I think we've preached Psalm 1, 2, 3, 8, 16, 24, 34, 46, and now 63. And what a blessing it has been through the summer to do this. Uh, we're moving with anticipation to start our study in the book of Hebrews on September 24th. But here we are in Psalm 63. Listen to the word of the Lord. Again, the superscription that you have beside Psalm 63 in your Bible is the first verse of the psalm in the Hebrew Bible. So we read it. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. That should race back to your attention. You should think back to one of two situations most likely. Saul as he pursues David to take his life. Or Absalom, his own son. Can you imagine being in that kind of distress? Your own son is after you to take your life. And so we know this from First and Second Samuel. That's the context. So David is in a time of distress, most likely in the cave of Adullam. And Absalom is seeking to take his life. Listen to verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, 
and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. How intensely do you desire the Lord? If we could strap on you for a day a spiritual barometer to indicate your intensity and desire and passion for the Lord, what would it register? We may ask as we read Psalm 63, how is it that a heart begins to have this pursuit of God and where does it come from? Is that a safe question? We know that the greatest commandment of all has been given to us by the Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your, with all of your, and all of your mind, right? We know what that is to love the Lord. The Bible has given it to us multiple times in the Word of God in Philippians. You don't turn, but just listen. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfected, but I press on to make it my own. Listen to this. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So where does this heart for God come from? Where does this passion come from? Well, Paul says, I press on because he has taken hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So in Philippians 3, Paul exhorts us to pursue Christ. What is the motive? And the motive is not that I have already obtained this or already am perfected, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ has taken hold of me. So Paul's pursuit of Christ was a response to Christ taking hold of him. So what is it to encounter the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Well, Jesus laid his hands on Paul. And that's, as you study the words, that is, so to speak, he forcefully arrested Paul on the road to Damascus and he set him off in a new direction for his life. That result of Christ taking hold of him issued forth into a new direction in life, a new passion, a new focus, a new intensity that came into Paul's life. And that's exactly what you see in Psalm 63. Our whole being should be under the dominance of the love of God. Why? Because the king has taken hold of us. And it's our life pursuit with intensity and fervor and with passion to pursue Christ and to love Him. Christianity, unless you haven't figured this out, is a personal relationship with a loving God who loved us and gave Himself for us. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So, thus the title of Psalm 63, a heart for God. Here's the deal. Born again, 
regenerate, Holy Spirit indwelt followers of Christ love God. They love God. Our love for God defines our lives. And as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a growing intensity. There's a growing passion. There is fervency. There is love for God. When you read the Gospels and Jesus lays out the demands for discipleship, would you say that Jesus is okay just assuming a little part of you? When he says things like, unless your love for me supersedes, it will appear as hatred to your love compared to your love for your spouse or your father or your mother or your children. Jesus says there is a love that supersedes all other loves and it is your love for him. And so, you may find it a little difficult to comprehend that David would say, You are my God, and I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. But that's nothing different than New Testament teaching. That's nothing different than what our love should be for the Lord. The word enthusiasm. You know where it came from? If you look up the etymology of the word enthusiasm, it is a combination of two Greek words. In theos. In and within God. You can't even define the word enthusiasm without God. Ultimately, ultimately, you are enthused more than anything else when you are in God. Or Christ is in you, within you. So, Psalm 63 is a text that is absolutely saturated with a soul that desires God with a passionate zeal. The imagery given of this earnestness, why? Because it's dry and it's a weary land. And God is seen as both the water of life that satisfies completely, and the God who delivers us from all life-threatening circumstances. So, again, historical setting, David in the wilderness, people are trying to kill him, Saul or Absalom. And so David is seeking God in his distress, and he's not asking God to change the circumstances. He wants God. Notice this. I mean, it would be, I would want out, right? Take the trial away. Get rid of Saul. Get rid of Absalom. And the Lord does eventually But keep in mind, David is seeking the Lord. And the movements in this psalm, verses 1 and 2, 3 through 5, 6 through 8, and 9 through 11, the movements in this psalm are guiding us to what it means to have complete satisfaction in the Lord. So if you're sad today, if you have a sad soul today, this psalm can lead you to the only source of a glad soul, a joyful soul. So it's like reading a love letter, isn't it? James Boyce actually said this psalm is almost a love song for God. And the result of this hunger for God is praise to God. It is preoccupation with the Lord. It is meditating on the word and his past help. It is confidence that God will one day vindicate his servants. So can it be said of us that we have a heart for God like this? I'm telling you, folks, we need people who seek and thirst for God. Do words like love, affection, longing, fainting, desiring, does that describe your relationship with the Lord? So if we come to realize the unconditional love of God, that's the key. If you come to understand the unconditional love of God for you in salvation, 
then you will seek no other satisfaction. If you get a taste of the unconditional loving kindness of God, you'll have a desire for satisfaction in Him. Even when your life is falling apart, there'll be a calmness, there'll be a a security and a satisfaction in God that the world knows nothing of. Right? Okay, you ready to tackle the psalm? That was just the intro. Didn't cost you a dime. Okay? Here we are. Let's, Let's walk through. First, desire God as the deepest passion of your soul. Again, David does not first seek the end of a difficulty. His desire is for the presence of God in the wilderness, in this difficulty. Uh, He has learned how to respond in the midst of trials and troubles. And here's the deal. No trial or trouble should distract you away from longing for the presence of God. In actuality, it ought to drive you to that reality. His His entire being is intently focused, and he wants to experience not the liberation from the trial, but liberation into, he wants the liberating presence of God in his life. So, David says, oh God, you are my God. Hebrew scholars will tell you that's the equivalent in repetition to Yahweh God, my Lord, the personal Lord. Oh God, you are my God. Don't you think that even in the opening part, this man has an appetite for God? His, his intense focus. This is not the seeking of a man who's unacquainted with God. This is not the seeking of a man who finds himself in trouble and all of a sudden he says, Oh well, uh, I've tried everything else, let's just try God. That's, that's not the way this is worded. David affirms the covenant loyalty of God. Just like Paul is saying, the God who actually pursued me. So David is reasserting what that rock is under the quicksand of all of his emotions. Is he not? He acknowledged that God was his abiding treasure when everything else was gone. So he is my God. The word seek. Uh, there's no way you know your pastor well enough. We're dealing with 11 verses. You've got to listen fast, okay? So seek. Uh, that's related to the Hebrew word dawn, like the dawning of the day. So if you're holding a KJV, King Jimmy, in your hands, it will say, early will I seek you. The ESV, English Standard Version, says, earnestly will I seek you. Which one is right? Well, I think if you look at the rest of the psalm, you'll understand that the emphasis is upon the word earnest. Why? Because then he's going to come back and give metaphors like thirst, longs, faint, desire, dry land, weary land. So, although there is a connection with this Hebrew word seek and early, I think the primary meaning is earnestly. It's with the intensity that you do it. But here's a good lesson for you. If you seek him earnestly, you will seek him early. Right? It's connected together. So, I'm sure David needed physical water. Let's say he's in the tomb of Adullam. I mean, you don't, you don't have a water faucet. You don't have a creek. You don't have a stream. You don't have any food. And I know he needed these things. He's deprived of the ordinary substance of life. But David is looking to God as his food. He's looking to God as his drink. His desire and his passion and his soul's longing is for the Lord. Hamilton notes, His body and soul yearn for the Lord. Check this out. Soul thirsting, body fainting, 
as in a waterless, restless land. We all know what it's like to feel that craving for the satisfaction of, a, of our desires that has our souls panting like a winded dog. Our bodies trembling like depraved or deprived addicts. But here's the difference. David feels that way about God. Not the things of this world. I've got a 100-pound German shepherd. His name is Chief. Well, he actually belongs to my mother-in-law. It's really her dog. She took him over. When I fire up my four-wheeler, that dog goes ballistic. If he's inside of Beta Sue's house, he'll tear the house down to get out. He's got this focus. He's like an addict. He can't take it. If I turn on that four-wheeler, he's got to be right there to chase me all over the yard, out through the woods. He's, his focus is right on it. And you are that way about desires that cannot satisfy your soul. Only God, only God can do this. And this is what David is saying. You know the cravings. You know how the flesh leads. And David himself feels that way about God. He knows that only God can replenish him. He knows that he must have him. He must seek the Lord. He seeks the giver, not the gift. He's seeking the giver, not the gifts of pleasure. But the giver himself, God remains powerful despite the psalmist's difficulty. Notice this. Don't you love it? So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Now, we have to realize that there wasn't a temple built at this time, right? Who built the temple? Not David, because God says you're a man of war. You won't do this, but your son will. Solomon built the temple, but what's going on now? Well, there's a tabernacle. There's, an, a, there's, a, there's a place of dwelling where God meets with his people, and David is rehearsing this in his mind. Let's say he went into the, the tabernacle of the, war, of the Lord and into the sanctuary, and when he does so, it's, it's similar, it's reminiscent to Isaiah. Y'all remember this? When he, in Isaiah 6, he's in the temple of the Lord, I think the heavenly vision of the temple, and he sees the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and he saw these angels swarming around, two wings, two, uh, and they're serving the Lord. And they're singing, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So I envision David having something similar. And he knows what it's like. And notice those words, power and glory. Power and glory. When you know the glory of God and the power of God, then you're okay in distress. When you know the power of God and the glory of God, you're okay with troubles come. You're okay when you have difficulties and trials mark this down put it in the side of your stick it into your mind with a sticky note are you listening the higher your view of God the more you will prioritize him in your life no amens I hope that you're meditating on that statement so much that you don't know what to say the higher your view of God the more you will prioritize him in your life if he has all power and all wisdom and all glory and he's omniscient and he's omnipotent and he's omnipresent and he's transcendent high above you and lifted up when he's righteous and holy and glorious and you know this then you prioritize him with your life nothing is more important now this passage breathes initiative doesn't it 
David is doing these things earnestly. He is seeking. He is thirsty. He is fainting. In other words, the Lord has performed an amazing work in you to save you from your sins and to make you a child of God. But there's some initiative from our part when it comes to seeking God. you got to seek Him. And this is intensity. Stephen Lawson said, When you lift up the hood of our hearts, one should find an engine that is driving us to pursue Christ. Is that understandable? Did that come down to your level? I mean, I'm from the south, folks. I know what it is to lift up an engine, uh, the hood of an engine, and see what's making that thing thump. What's making it go? What's driving it? And so it is with us. David is not just rehearsing mere theological facts either. This God belongs to him. And he belongs to him. He's tapping into his personal relationship. David is resolved to seek God. And young people, adults, there are so many competing loyalties out there begging for your total commitment. Is that not true? Yes, no question about it. This passage is telling you the pattern of a true, born, again believer. If you are truly birthed into the kingdom of God and Christ has taken hold of you, you will not stop until you've taken hold of him. You will have this desire to pursue Christ above all things. And it can't be a half-hearted search. you got to be all in. you got to have passion for the Lord. So I gave you an etymology of the word enthusiasm. Guess where passion comes from? It's a Latin term, and it derives from the passion of Christ on the cross. You wouldn't even have the word passion if it didn't come from Christ's passive and active obedience in his passion to go to the cross to honor his Father and turn the wrath of God away so that you could be saved. That's true passion. And so we're called by God to have this passion. Now, in thinking of the metaphors that David uses real fast, earnestly seeking the Lord, remember that your body is made up of 65 to 70% water. We can live for about three days without water. You can lose you, if you lose more than 8% of your, body, of your body's water, guess what happens? You will die. Adults need eight glasses of water a day. Water is used in almost every bodily function, whether it be digestion, blood circulation, softening of skin, and physical growth. Therefore, we thirst because we need it. The pangs of our soul thirst is far more important than the pangs of your physical thirst. We need God, folks. We need a healthy soul with a high view of God, and we thirst for Him. David's soul could only be satisfied by the one who said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture says, out of him will flow rivers of living water. So desire God as the deepest passion of your soul. Number two, praise God for a covenant love that is better than life. You see verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life. It is more satisfying than life. His lips, because of that, could not remain silent. He was not a half-hearted hymn singer. (coughs) His... His heart, soul, passion, relationship with the Lord moved to his lips and he could not contain 
himself. He's not afraid to tell the Lord and show the Lord his passion for him. So David gives two affirmations. In verse 3 and in verse 5, he gives an affirmation followed by a response. Your loving kindness is better than life. That's the affirmation. And here's the response. My lips, lips shall praise you. Folks, when you consider the hesed, in Hebrew it's got a gurgle. Hesed. Hesed is the way it's said. Hesed. When you consider covenantal loving kindness of God. When you consider that he loved... Here, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the kind of love that we're dealing with here. That's the Hebrew word loving kindness. It's followed by the response, my lips will praise you. The second affirmation is my soul shall be satisfied as, as of with marrow and fatness. That's rich foods. Here's the response, my mouth shall praise you. With joyful lips. When you think about the love of God extended to you to save you, your lips will praise God. When you think about how he satisfies your soul, your lips will praise God. So here's the response. What about us? Are we aware of the surpassing value of Yahweh's loyal love for us? If we are, then when we come in this building, or all week for that matter, the roof won't stay on your car. It will be lifted up with praise to God if we consider how rich his love is for us. And how much he satisfies us. No, not the things of the world. It can never satisfy. Only God can do it. So God's love is not just better than some aspects of life. Check this out. It is better than life itself. If you will bless God, uh, here's the deal. If so... If the love of God is the most superior thing in your life, if that is true, then you will bless God with your life. If that is true. As one commentator says it well, if God is better than life, the best thing to do with one's life is to bless God with it. Amen? So, so David is thirsting, and his flesh is fainting for God, and then he's celebrating the love of God. And David asserts that this food... This food for the soul is more satisfying, here's the, Greek, the Hebrew words, lard and fatness. I'm all in, right? Don't you get tired of this low-carb stuff and no-carb stuff? Give me the lard. Give me the fat. Well, here's, what, here's what David is saying. God has met his need. And he's picturing this rich banquet feast. And the spread is there and it's placed before you. It reminds me of Grandma Burden's. Thanksgiving meal, turkey, ham, mashed potatoes. Oh, here's a good one that you Missourians don't know much about, right? Asparagus casserole. That'll make a tadpole slap a whale. Oh, <laughs> and green beans and homemade biscuits and top it off with cherry cheesecake. Man, that's good stuff, right? It doesn't compare. To the satisfaction that God gives the soul. It doesn't compare. David is not wanting Grandma Burden's meal. He's thinking about what it's like to sit down and eat it. But he's bringing it over to his soul. He's satisfied. You know how you feel when you sit back after you've eaten that? You can't move? You're about to bust? Yeah. So, I want to remind you that it was a supernatural work of God that saved you. 
And it's also a supernatural work of God in you that drives you into Him only to meet that need and satisfaction. How potent is one sip of Christ? I saw where Spurgeon preached a message once called, The Sip That Satisfies. Whew. And I've got news for you. That sip of Christ will satisfy you for all eternity. It will. So I would remind you that you can never truly enjoy the things of this life until you're satisfied in Christ. And I know it. I get it. We think our families satisfy. We think our job may satisfy. For, for 80% of you in here, you probably say, I'd like to change my job. I get it. But we look at all these things. I'm telling you, you can't truly enjoy what God has for you in family until you're satisfied in Christ. You can't, you, you drag yourself out of your bed in the morning to go off to work. I'm telling you, the difference is Jesus. He makes the difference in how you view your vocation, how you view work. Remember, Adam was created and put in the garden to work. Sin did not cause work. work made, sin made it difficult. But Adam was placed there. And you have to see this in your mind. When you become satisfied only in Christ, then you look at life in a different way. Notice how the phrase, lips will praise you, forms a bracket in verses 3 and 5. That's called an inclusio, right? Lips, joyful lips, the loving kindness of God unites the sinners to Christ, and it's only because God is at work that there's any reason, much less any ability, in a fallen creature to participate in faith, hope, and love. If God doesn't initiate, you will never ever appreciate nor know what real faith, love, and hope is. God has to do it. So, I know I don't have much time, but hear me. That word, loving kindness, I, I did a word study this week, and it blows your mind to to track through Hesed in the Bible and loving kindness. But here's the deal. That kind of love has a freedom of decision that is essential to understanding it. In other words, the help is vital. Someone is in a position of help. You and me, right? The helper does what he does on his, out of his own freedom. That's what loving kindness means. It is love that includes mercy with an object out there in a pitiful state. And that's us. We were in a pitiful state. We were lost and undone when Christ pursued us and saved us. So as we reflect on the love of God, don't ever forget about the initiative that God took to save you from your sins. One taste of that kind of unconditional love for, for sinners that God has, I think you will burst forth into praise. Psalm 63.3 is perhaps the key to David's longing, is it not? David wanted God more than he wanted life. That's the key. John Piper says, if you want God more than life, then you want God more than you want all the joys of life. Listen to me, folks. You want him more than family. You want him more than health. You want him more than food or friendships or sexual relationships, or job satisfaction, or music, or computers, and sunsets. The list goes on. We should not long for the gift of life, but the giver of life. I add to that, for nearly everyone, life is the most precious of all possessions. However, David asserts that there's something even better than life itself, and that's the love of God. Do we savor God more than life itself? 
I think that is the essence of true worship, folks. True worship is a genuine savoring of God. Whether you are feasting or thirsting or bursting, you can't treat God lightly. You can't. You're pursuing Him. Paul would later, later state, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In the Greek, there's no verb. For me, no, it goes like this. To live, Christ. To die, gain. Whether that was his ambition. To live is Christ. To honor him or, or ambition and goal. Goal at hand, to be with Christ. And that's actually better. Again, John Piper says one more thing. I wonder whether this is why we cannot do without the wilderness experiences of life. Whew. If all of life were a paradise, and so many think it should be, and so many try to make it that way, then we would not much more often become addicted to the savoring of the gifts rather than the God who gives the gifts. Surely that is why Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And surely that is why he takes his loved one again and again through the desert fires. He would disenchant us with the world so that he can give us a taste for eternity. Yes. David not only used his mouth to praise the Lord, he also used his hands. Again, I could talk about so much. You know, I'm a person with hands. So are you. And some of you lift your hands in worship. And David in verse 4 says, So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. Is it wrong to lift your hands in a Baptist church? Absolutely not. It is not. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, the, the scriptural evidence is overwhelming. Psalm 28.1 Psalm 119.48, Psalm 141.1 and 2, Psalm 143.6, Ezra 9.5, 1 Timothy 2.8. Here's what we know about, hand, about hands. They, they communicate something. A clenched fist communicates something, doesn't it? Hide our hands from someone, especially a little kid in a cookie jar, because there's incriminating evidence. We wring our hands. We cover our faces with our hands. We flap them wildly where we're in frustration. We use them to show hospitality, right? Come in to the house or whatever. Now, I get it. We sometimes are guilty of worshiping faith or worshiping worship more than the God of the worship. And people are guilty of that. Only you know your heart. But here's the deal. When you lift your hands, when you clap, you're surrendering to the highest authority. You are yielding to God's will. You're expressing vulnerability. You're confessing your utter dependence. It's as if you're saying, Abba, Father, protect me. I'm yours. So go ahead. If you want to lift joyful hands, do it. Amen? That was all free, by the way. Number three, got to go fast. Cling to God in hope as you meditate on his word. Let me condense this for you. David is in the watching times of the night. Perhaps that means it's the difficult times. You can't see what's in the dark, right? And if an enemy's coming, there's no question that David would be thinking about, man, what happens when I'm asleep? One writer calls this nocturnal tension. You ever wake up in the middle of the night and your first thought is the Lord? As I was studying this psalm for four straight nights, when my mind turned on, my thoughts were, oh God, you are my God. Now, I wish I could tell you that happens every morning. It doesn't. Sometimes I'm a little frustrated because something woke me up. At our age, at 53, you got to go to the bathroom a lot, right? And we get frustrated about that kind of stuff. But what happens? When, I mean, it's like when, when the Lord turns on the mind, when you 
When you wake up, you've got thoughts of the Lord. The other connection is the word meditate. Do you see it? That meditation goes all the way back to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate. So folks, in order to savor God, you've got to meditate on the Word. And in order to meditate on the Word, you've got to know it. You've got you to be familiar with this. You've you got to know the Word of God so that in those moments, you, and here's the word, he clings to the Lord. It is because he is savoring the Lord. It is because he is meditating on the Lord that he clings. And this Greek word comes from the word of a husband being joined to his wife. Or as Ruth clings to Naomi, her mother-in-law. I will not leave you. I'm gonna, and why can we cling to the Lord? Because he holds you with his right hand. Hallelujah. Number, number, number four. Be confident that God will vindicate his people. And I know this sounds harsh. Because we've so feminized Christianity. We've so dumbed it down that we forget about judgment. But here's the deal. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. Now God doesn't rejoice in the death of the wicked. But David is looking at his enemies. And he knows full well that he's, in, he's upheld by the righteous right hand of God. And he knows full well that those who are coming after him are really coming after the Lord. And so he knows. He's got confidence. Did God vindicate him when it came to Goliath? Did God vindicate him before Saul? Did God vindicate him before Absalom? As a matter of fact, Absalom dies a tragic death. He just gets his hair hung up in a branch of a tree. 2 Samuel 18, 14 through 15. So, here's the deal, folks. Those who slander God's anointed will be stopped. That's the king saying this. And I will rejoice. And all who swear by God's name will join him in praise to God who protects and who delivers his people. And notice this kingly note. But the king shall rejoice in God. And we feel, we feel David as the king, physical king of Israel... And he's rejoicing in the Lord. Why? Because God has been his help. The wicked have afflicted him, persecuted him, sought his life. But he took refuge under the wing of the Lord. He takes refuge from God and he's glad in his heart. This also goes back to Psalm 2. The nations rage. The nations plot their vain things against God's anointed Christ. And David puts himself in the line of this kingly procession. So the mouths are stopped. David is full of praise. No trial should cause us to forget God's justice. Are you listening? No trouble you're going through. The Bible says we know, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Further, all who swear by him, all those who pledge their allegiance and trust to the Lord God, they shall glory, they shall celebrate, they shall boast, they shall praise. The mouths of God's enemies will be stopped, but the mouth of God's servant will shout and sing forever, never to be silenced through all eternity. Jesus said, I'm really summing this up, right, for you. Jesus said this, John chapter 15. Here's what he said, 1511. I love John 15, verse 11. 
Well, let's back up to verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Y'all with me already? Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. No man or angel has more joy than the Lord Jesus Christ who is exalted to God's right hand. Amazingly, Christ desires to share his joy with his followers so that their joy will be full. If we taste Christ's joy, you will desire him more and more every day. You will desire that kind of joy. So he insists that his own obedience to the Father was the ground of his joy. Don't miss this. If you had time to study it in John 15, the ground of his joy is that he obeyed his Father even to the cross. He promises that those who obey him will share the same joy. You understand that without bowing a knee to Christ, you don't have joy, but you don't have God either. Without trusting Jesus, without submitting to Christ, without death to self. And where does this build from? Chapter 12. Let these words sink in. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What was he speaking of? His own death. But then he turns it to his servants. Truly, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servants will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Listen, folks. What is presupposed in John 15 is that human joy in a fallen world is only temporary. It's ephemeral. It's shallow. It's incomplete. You won't understand true joy until you're overtaken with the joy of Christ. Until you understand what it was like for Jesus to obey his Father. And thus Christ says, come unto me. Uh, He says in John 1, who loves the Lord Jesus Christ? Those who obey him and keep his commandments. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Think of this. How can we cultivate this God-centeredness? Well, we have to replace and displace a focus on self. And we have to focus on Christ. We've got to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ who is supreme. One of my favorite hymns growing up was called Only Trust Him. How many of you even know of that song, Only Trust Him? A few of you? Here's what it says. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. There it is, loving kindness. And he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. For Jesus shed his precious blood, rich blessings to bestow, plunged now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. Sing it. Only trust him, only trust him. Only trust him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. 
Let me quote verse 4 and this is it. Come then and join this holy band and on to glory go to dwell in that celestial land where joys immortal flow. How much do you love the Lord? How do you measure the intensity, the passion in your life to love the Lord? Can you really say that, Lord, thy loving kindness is better than life? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for Psalm 63. Lord, help us. First, for those who are saved and know you, God, help us not to be turned aside from our pursuit of you, Lord Jesus, because you reminded us in your word that to know the Father is to know you. You said in your word, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father except through me. For you loved the world in this manner that you gave your only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Lord, for lost people today, I pray that, Lord, only your word and your spirit can open our hearts and eyes to the truth and beauty of Christ. We know this. God, do it. Lord, be pleased to turn on the lights of the eyes of faith in someone's life today. Open their hearts that they may behold your word. Lord, I pray that they would turn, repent, trust Jesus in what you did for them in your life, death, burial, and resurrection. And for Christians, Lord, embolden us to pursue you, to be intense, to be passionate for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's join in singing, Come to the Altar, Jesus is Calling. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Oh, come, oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior. Let's sing it. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he need to do that one more time right 
You need to join the angel throng of God before him and sing, try to beat them. Right? Just listen to those words. Listen to what you're singing. Don't worry about your neighbor. Think about the Lord. Seek only Him. Let's sing that particular part one more time and end. Let's sing. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is That's better. I might let you go home, all right? To God be the glory. So uh, thank you for being here today, especially if you are a visitor, you are our honored guest. We're glad you came. Uh, I don't think we have any additional announcements, but don't forget about Wednesday night meal. Wednesday night meal, sign up. Uh, Hey, real quick. God uh, bless you. Obviously, there's no prayer request more important than another, but there are some that are pretty urgent. And uh, Mr. Glenn Redman, one of our members, he, he works up in the sound booth every third week. He's in Danny Bearden's Sunday school class. The doctors say he is in ICU up at Barnes Hospital and will not leave that room unless he gets uh, a heart. He's, he's in line for, for a heart transplant. And so let's just say, uh, uh, Glenn and Lori, we love you. We're praying for you. Look at the camera back there and wave. You ready? Glenn, Lori, we love you. We're praying for you. God bless. All right. And just, uh, we'll just send that to them and, and let them know that we're praying for. Please, please remember them in your prayers, okay? God bless you. Have a great day.